0: Everyone and welcome to the Health Nuts podcast with certified holistic nutrition consultants Mary Vance and Caitlin Weeks. Our goal is to dispel mainstream nutrition myths and bring you the best in holistic health and real food education. Hey Caitlin. Hi Mary, how are you today? Good. I was standing in my kitchen on my makeshift treadmill desk, which is a stack of Twilight novels.
1: <laughs> minus minus the treadmill,
0: right? <laughs> minus the treadmill. Um And standard disclaimer, if you hear dogs barking or massive construction going on, please disregard, as as both have the possibility of happening.
1: Yeah, well, that's city life. Yeah, city living. Uh, What about you? I was just making some raspberry gummy bears, so that's my exciting day.
0: I made, um, I got my (laughs) spiral vegetable slicer, and I made delicata squash noodles for wow. lunch and they were really awesome.
1: Wow, uh, that sounds fun. <laughs> so uh, I'll read our disclaimer really quick. So the only purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. It is no substitute for prof- professional care by a doctor or other medical professional. This podcast is provided with the understanding that it does not constitute medical advice or services. Instead we encourage you to discuss your help with a licensed provider, Caitlin Weeks and Mary Vance, assume no liability for your activities in connection with this podcast. You can find us on Facebook at Grassfed Girl and Mary's at Mary Vance Nutrition Consultant, and our website. My website is grassfedgirl.com, Mary's and Mary Vance NC.com. So you can always find the show notes there. When you want to know what we were talking about and all that.
0: Well, yeah, now we got the business out of the way. Um, Talk about our guest today.
1: Our guest is Kim Koch. Nope. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Oh, I just call her Kim. She's my um, new friend. She's up in Portland, right? Yes. And um I read her keto book a few weeks ago and I just thought that it was really good because it kind of broke it down into easy to understand knowledge um you know steps and you know I'd heard Jimmy Moore talk about it and I'd heard a lot of people talk about ketosis but this was the first art uh set of information that I'd ever seen that really made it understandable to the regular person so and it's all in one place you know usually you have to scour the internet to find how to do it and everything and you know we're not saying that it's the perfect thing for every person by any means but we're just wanting to you know let you know all the different options that are out there and you know there may be something to try or to talk to your doctor about or um, we just want you to know that you know it's a good idea to tweak your own program and to biohack yourself. And, you know, I know we do that all the time and you know, it's just a good idea to kind of know what's out there. So, you know, definitely check with your own doctor or naturopath or nutritionist before beginning any new program. What do you think, Mary?
0: Yeah, I was going to say, you know, obviously we'll talk all about what a ketogenic diet really means. I think there's a lot of confusion about it as well. And since, we're so immersed in this stuff day to day. We forget that most people don't even really know what we're talking about. So um, so we'll break it down for you today. And yeah, I think that people kind of go crazy when you talk about ketogenic diet and ketosis because of misinformation surrounding it. And um, like you said, it may not be right for everybody. And I think it can work great for certain types of people who have metabolic imbalances or just want to jumpstart weight loss. So we're going to give you the tools in your toolbox to determine if it's right for you and how to do it. And Kim's going to talk about it too. Thanks for joining us, Kim, today.
2: Oh, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: Awesome. Um, So before we launch into our content today, Caitlin, tell us a little bit about what's new on your site.
1: Well, I've been writing about ketosis. So I had one post about 10 easy steps to get into ketosis, uh, which is kind of, I'll just go ahead and say it's like a tweaking of a paleo and a low-carb diet together. And one thing I like about Kim is that she really does choose real food. And sometimes when you get involved in low-carb blogs and websites and things, sometimes they're using low-carb Bisquick and weird stuff like that. So or, you know, artificial sweeteners. And so Kim's blog is really focused, and her book is really focused on real food uh, within a context of using ketosis. So it's just kind of a tweak of a low-carb diet, but it, with really healthy ingredients. So that's one thing that was that drew me to it in the first place. And I wrote a post about that. I also have a 21-day sugar detox giveaway. You know, our friend Diane Filippo is... Got a new book called The 21 Day Sugar Detox that's coming out. And I'm giving away three of those. So go ahead and register for that.
0: Great. Um, What's new on my blog? Let's see. I think recipes. I put up a kale and sausage stew recipe that was really great that I made up. And I put up one of my favorite healthy foods that aren't posts. So there's just some general info going on on my site, nothing groundbreaking, but I do want to answer our favorite question about what we all had for breakfast. And I want to go first because I've been making this porridge that I think I even got from Diane, speaking of the 21 day sugar detox. But since I love pumpkin so much like you do, Caitlin, I've been using half a cup of pumpkin, two tablespoons tahini, a little bit of coconut butter and some coconut milk and cinnamon, and then I put grass-fed gelatin in it from Great Lakes and some spices and then heat it up, and it's so good. And it's really filling and obviously it's grain-free, dairy-free, egg-free. So I've been loving that the last couple of days. And you can make a big batch of it and eat it all week.
1: Mm, Yeah, that doesn't work for me. I do better with individual servings. (laughs) 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 What did you have, Kim?
2: Actually, I had leftover beef stew paleo style beef stew and coffee with great lakes gelatin in it so we have that in common mary mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> you like the green one for that
2: i like the green one for that yeah
1: now, people always get confused was so it the red or the green or the big <laughs> one and it's like i have you, both you might have coffee pudding if you
0: put the red one in that's true <laughs> that's very true um
1: yeah, I've actually never bought the green one because I have a case of the red one. So <laughs> I'm not, I'm just going to take other people's opinion on the green one until I get some. You'll never run out again. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of had an a early morning doctor's appointment. I wanted to get some of my thyroid tested because my insurance covers it. So I wanted to see what they said. I got it done in January, so I wanted to see what was going on, and so I went over there. So I just had the some decaf. I got some Swiss water processed organic decaf, so don't freak out. And <laughs> I had some oh, coconut milk in that, and so it's kind of like a bulletproof coffee. And I just went over there, and then and then I came back and had some of my raspberry gummy bears. <laughs> so (laughs) those sound good perfect for Halloween yeah and um so that was what I had so far and uh so I'm I'm, we're supposed to have people over for dinner so I want to save my space for that um so Kim tell us how you got interested in this and a little bit more about your health history and Sure, sure. Yeah.
2: Um, So I've been pretty much overweight since I was a teen. um, And I became morbidly obese when I was in my late teens and early 20s. So I can say that I've pretty much always been uh, interested in weight loss techniques. And of course, back then, it's like, uh, it was either the Atkins diet or it was, you know, the exact opposite, a low-fat diet, which was really, made me crazy. Um, so I actually developed hypothyroidism and PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, and didn't get a lot of help in the medical community. No way. And I think. Yeah, <laughs> it I had to fight to take, to get them to even prescribe me medication. I think a lot of overweight people have had, you know, similar experiences to me in this area. Absolutely. Um, so there's, you know, I went through a lot of the the shaming, um, just a lot of not getting any help from from medical professionals. Um, luckily, that's that's all changed. And uh, I've had some good experiences. So, Well, up there
1: in Portland, there's some good naturopathic doctors and stuff, right?
2: Yes. In fact, I have a very good one that I see, Natural Family Health Clinic. Um, I'm not affiliated with them. I just am a patient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and they're very supportive. And, you know, they look at your individual health and history and they get to know you as a person and I think you know most naturopaths are like that um so I think it's really important to to work with someone that has preventative medicine in mind um I actually became very very overweight though I was up to 400 pounds Whoa. uh yeah and uh, about
1: when was that
2: that was well most recently, um, about 13 years ago, I had weight loss surgery. Um, and that actually, uh, you know, I, I can't say that I regret it for myself. I wouldn't counsel other people to have it nowadays. Um, but it, it did, oddly enough, lead me down this path. Um, I did lose quite a bit of weight. I never got down to my goal weight. Um, but I did develop a lot of issues, um, and that is what led me to, to what I'm doing today and, um, Weston A. Price because I had a lot of, uh, health issues as a result of the surgery.
1: To kind of like, um, uh, malabsorption type stuff?
2: Yeah, um, a lot of kind of severe anemia, um. Which was horrible. If anyone's ever gone through that, um, and a lot out, of mineral. Sorry,
1: mm-hmm. you need half your stomach, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> it, I did become a lot thinner. Um, I was still chubby, but so I looked good, and society accepted me more. But I was actually sicker than I was when I was heavy. Um, oddly enough so well,
0: it's funny how and that's kind of how we're socialized as well to think if you're thin you must be healthy and there exactly. are
2: exactly
0: a lot of unhealthy thin people out there exactly. and vice versa a lot of perfectly healthy people who might be considered overweight by quote, right. society standards oh yeah so that's interesting, too, coming from the perspective of being obese for part of your life and, and now looking, quote, normal, you, I'm sure, have a lot of really interesting insight into how society treats the different two types of people.
2: Yeah, it was, it was difficult because it seemed very quickly that all of a sudden, like within a month, people started to treat me like a normal person. Yeah, and, <laughs> psychologically, you know that can really mess with your head. <laughs> Were you already uh, married at that time? Or? I wasn't at that time, so it, yeah, it was interesting. The dating scene, you know, very different, of course.
0: <laughs> well, I've I've actually had women clients that I've worked with who've been obese, and as they start losing weight, and they're not used to attention from the opposite sex, too, it can bring up a lot of feelings and you know they yeah. have to deal
2: with it was crazy I remember walking in the cafeteria at work and wearing a skirt one day and actually getting male attention and for the first time yeah it was like oh my gosh I am not comfortable with this uh, yeah. what's going on
1: <laughs> it's all yeah I kind of went through that too I'm um, losing weight after college and it was you go a little crazy at first when you first lose weight and then they're like, okay, yes. uh, I gotta reel it in here. Um, <laughs> now, uh, so you found Weston A. Price after a couple years of of losing weight and oh, after your bypass surgery, and then now, when did you start doing keto?
2: I started in 2012, so just about oh, 15 or 16 months ago. Um, I found, I, I hadn't even really heard of it. I mean, I hadn't even heard the word ketogenic except back in the Atkins days when Atkins was more popular. Um, I thought it was really like the Atkins diet, and I was surprised and pleased that it wasn't exactly like that. It's more, you know, updated, I guess. Um, I became paleo in 2010. Wow. Um, and. That was, you know, I went to a Weston A. Price conference, found out about paleo, met a paleo blogger, um, found out about that. And the moment that I found out about it, I knew that I would be, I would be exploring it in depth. (laughs) Um, And it scared me to be off of grains. Um, So, because Because at that time I was doing the soaking and the dehydrating and all of that. I see. So, but my weight was, you know, I was getting better. I wasn't as sick. You know, I wasn't anemic anymore. Um, but my weight was slowly creeping up, you know, even on a real foods diet. So
1: So when you started paleo, did you see some changes?
2: I did see some changes. I saw some um, inflammatory things go away, which was really nice. Um, I saw a little bit of weight loss as a result of paleo. But not a lot, um, probably because, you know, I was just focusing more on the really good starches and carbs and fruits and all of that that paleo has, and and less on the fats. And the
1: brownies and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all your good recipes. So. <laughs> yeah, they, it um, can be confusing at first when you start but you but you kind of started to gravitate towards the low carb side of it
2: I did I started to experiment with that and then uh, in this late spring of 2012 I came across Jimmy Moore's experiment that he had been doing on nutritional ketosis and that was really the the thing that got me going it's I love what he said, uh, he talks about data. You know, he has real hard numbers on his site. And it's, it's all about him and his experience. Uh, but he provides numbers, which I'm a systems analyst during the day. So I was it kinda drew me in. to look
1: at all his graphs and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I I'm sort of like put off by that. I'm like I mean, of course I love him his blogs and everything, but I was right. I'm like, oh too many numbers. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> um but then uh, yeah, so I think when he first started doing it, I kind of got overwhelmed by all the information, and I was like, "This is just too complicated." But when when I read your book, I was like, "Oh, this is not that hard," you know.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, and it took me that long to process what he was doing and kind of translate it to myself to say, "Okay, this is how I I feel like I'm a regular person. I just you know wanted to translate." Nutritional ketosis into you know, something that any anyone could do, anyone could attempt if they wanted to, and that was kind of the the goal of my book is to make it easy to understand because that's what I needed. Um, I like the graphs and all that, but I really needed something that I could follow just on a day to day basis.
1: Yeah, I know when I first read about it, and you know he has a link to the free meter and everything on his site, and I was like, "Oh, I'll get one," and I got one, and then I got it home, and I couldn't even get that thing to work. And I was like, "Forget this; it's too much trouble." <laughs> <laughs> and um, I mean, I've used a glucose monitor, but for some reason, I just couldn't get the little strip to like work. And then, you know, the strips are so expensive. Yes, I was just, that was they probably are a tough. year ago, and I was just like, "Okay, forget it." Um, but that's why i like your book you also say that there's other other means of knowing or telling if you're in ketosis so um we'll let you tell those in a second uh so that sounds like a great introduction to so and then tell us the results so tell us what happened when you tried keto for a while
2: well i immediately lost a lot of weight um (laughs) And a lot of that is water weight, but think about all the water weight I was carrying around. Maybe
1: um, some of it, yeah, inflammation.
2: Yeah, exactly. Inflammation weight, and I was feeling very bloated. Um, so you immediately feel better. Um, I was waking up with a really stiff arthritis type ankle thing, uh, and within four days, that was completely gone. Um, the best thing, though, was the mental clarity. And which I just, it's the best thing ever for me. Um, <laughs> I could
0: do some of that too.
2: <laughs> I mean, before I would really struggle for my words when I was talking to someone. Um, and after keto, they just come very quickly. And I can also work for hours where my brain would get tired before. So I just felt a complete shift now, it does take a while to get to that point, you know, two to four weeks, I would say. But once I was there, it it was awesome. I didn't, I never wanted it to stop.
1: Well, one thing I liked about your book was that you are still not at your goal weight, but you didn't want to hold back and wait till you're perfect before sharing <laughs> it with others. And I think that takes a lot of courage, you know.
2: Yeah, that that was something I really struggled with and talked to my husband about and I'm like I I think I can help people though if I just get this out there now
1: I think it's so relatable because so many people are at home just like you but they're they're afraid
2: right and I'm tired of being in fear I mean I think that um, people that have been overweight for a long time they're used to being fearful about life and I'm done I'm done with that (laughs) Watch out. <laughs>
1: I know that was kind of my approach when I was a trainer. Like I was in good shape and and fit and everything, but you know, of course I wasn't ripped like these other trainers, but I think a lot of the people responded to me in a in a very positive way, my my clients because, you know, they felt that they could they didn't have to be perfect either. Right. Um, and that made them feel very comfortable. So I think that people are very drawn in by your story. So thank you so much for sharing it with us. So Mary, you go ahead.
0: Well, Kim, before we get started, tell people where they can find your book online.
2: My book is on my website, eatfatlosefatblog.com. And it's on
0: sale right now, right?
2: It's on sale for 20% off right now. And oh, so- I do have an update actually coming out in about a month, which uh, anyone that buys the book before the end of the year will get it for free.
1: Awesome. And that's going to have some information about maintenance? and.
2: Yes, the update will have a maintenance chapter. Oh, and also I do, if if you don't want to commit to the book, I do have a free resource guide with a lot of links uh, because, as Caitlin said, you can go out on the Internet and find a ton of information, but it takes a lot of work. And that resource guide has all those links that, that I used in my research.
0: Well, without further ado, why don't we get started and, and talk about the basics of the ketogenic diet. And can you explain to everyone what that means?
2: Sure, sure. So my form of keto is really paleo-keto. So I don't eat a lot of processed foods, and it's really a low-carb, high-fat, moderate-protein version of paleo. And I try to stick to 20 to 25 grams of carbs a day. Now, everyone's different, though. I'm kind of, you know, as you heard from my history, I have a lot of metabolic issues and almost always have. Um, Other people could eat a little more and stay in uh, ketosis. Um, so I eat about 65 to 75% fat per day.
0: And you mentioned ketogenic and paleo ketogenic. Is there sort of a traditional model for a ketogenic diet that, say, uses more processed foods?
2: Yeah, so I, I know a lot of people have heard of keto um, and a lot of people have. Heard it in conjunction with the low carb Bisquick and the all the Atkins foods and the Atkins bars and and all of those kind of processed foods and that's not the kind of food that I eat ninety nine percent of the time I can't say never. Um, really, I take as much as I can get from Paleo and have I have a hybrid approach. I have the Weston A Price Foundation. Um, guidelines and paleo, and I just kind of combine them into my own thing.
1: That's great. So one one thing that just to clarify to people about the protein, because I think one thing, I mean, it's kind of a misconception that paleo's so protein oriented, uh, but that you really do have to kind of watch your protein on keto, right? <laughs>
2: It's a good idea too, especially when you're, you know, you have a metabolic type syndrome. Um, And I'm not pre-diabetic or diabetic, but I do kind of monitor my blood glucose as well. And I've seen that if I do eat too much protein, it does go up in the morning. So your body can convert that protein into excess blood sugar. So I actually eat less protein now than I did when I was on paleo and actually less than I did when I was on, you know, any diet, (laughs) you know, um, standard American diet even. So it, and I get plenty of protein. Um, But yeah, I think it's a misconception that keto, um, folks on a keto diet are pounding down the protein all the time.
1: What would be a range like? Give us, like, a range for a woman and a range
2: for a man. So there's a link in my resource guide to a keto calculator that's really helpful. Um, But the range for – and it really depends on your size. So even though I'm, like, 5'4", 215 at this point in time, and I am supposed to eat between 90 and, like, 110 grams of protein a day. Um, but I know people that uh, eat less, and um, my husband, who is finally on the bandwagon with uh, low carbon keto, he eats about a hundred grams more than I do a day because he's a lot bigger than me. Um, so it really depends on you know not only your body weight but your height um, and what kind of deficit you want to operate at.
1: What kind of activity level? Yes,
2: well? and that's another thing. Is like, my husband is a remodeling contractor; he's running around all day long. Um, I'm an analyst for a technology company and a blogger, so uh, you know, I'm I'm just trying to exercise every day, and he naturally gets that. So it really does depend on your activity level as well.
0: That's an important distinction too. There's never a one size fits all approach in any of the stuff, right?
2: Yeah, it's amazing how how much that is really
0: true. <laughs> so Everyone I has did, to
2: find their own path, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I spend a lot of breath telling that to people every day. And what works for you may not work for your neighbor. But some adjustments, obviously, I think um, that can be powerful. Right. But I also want to know, and I think I got some questions on my Facebook and in my email Uh, Is that the ketogenic diet seems to be super controversial? So, can you shed some light on why everybody goes crazy when you talk about it?
2: I have no idea. No, (laughs) (laughs) it's funny. I didn't even know it was controversial when I started all of this. Um, I just knew it worked for me. You know, I I, literally, when nothing else worked, this worked, Um, and. That's when I wanted to share the information with people. Um, but I think part of the controversy probably is that perceived excess protein thing. That And any excess protein can be really hard on your body. And, I mean, people think of an Atkins diet and they're like, if you're craving something, then you just go eat a sausage or something, you know.
1: <laughs> and,
2: like, protein is a free food. Well, Um, protein's not a free food on a keto diet.
0: Well, and it's the fat content, too, and people are still really, I mean,
2: we're
0: still in a hangover from the low-fat 80s, right, where people are just starting to come out of that haze and understand the importance of fats in the diet. So I think anytime there's a focus on good fats, people get very uncomfortable with that.
2: Yeah, it's very prevalent in society to be, afraid of fat, at least in America, and I don't understand it, because, um, you know, I eat coconut oil, about the spoonful, I <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I have you gotten
0: any... Better. I'm sorry to interrupt you.
2: Oh, no, go ahead. Have
0: you gotten any feedback from people on your book that have been kind of anti-ketogenic and, you know, are sending you information about what they think about it?
2: Yeah, they, some people are very afraid just to eat more fat. Um, Some people think that it's too much protein and it's hard to, you know, explain. It's like, it's, use the keto calculator because that's going to tell you really where your macros need to be. Um, So my protein is not, you know, I put my protein level in the book, but. I wrote that book almost 2 months ago. My protein levels have now changed since I've lost weight. So, you know, even 2 months ago, my my uh, needs are different. So, it it really is a moving a moving thing and but if you're going to make an error at all, eating excess fat on a ketogenic diet is the best way to make a mistake.
1: <laughs> which is and it won't be a mistake, a right? You're right, it
2: won't be a mistake. Uh your body will just burn it and use it for fuel.
1: Now, um isn't the the thing about the controversy, isn't there a big confusion about the word ketosis and ketoacidosis?
2: Yes, that people do get confused. Um, and even Doctor
1: Oz, I saw got got that wrong.
2: Yeah, ketoacidosis <laughs> is an extreme and uncontrolled version of nutritional ketosis. It is very highly, almost impossible for nutritional ketosis to turn into ketoacidosis. And, um, that doesn't,
1: and doesn't that have to do with type one diabetes?
2: Yeah, that's the only really section of the population that I would be wary of being on a a ketogenic diet is a type 1 diabetic plus anyone that's pregnant because I think we just need to be super careful no matter, you know, if we're pregnant. So
1: Yeah, I think a moderate approach is best during pregnancy. I think paleo is very safe, but I don't know. Paleo is very safe. I don't know about a a really (laughs) extreme low-carb diet or anything. I'm sure you would agree, Mary, right?
0: Yeah, I I don't think anyone should be on any kind of a quote diet, really, when they're pregnant. That's kind of a – and my thoughts on the ketogenic diet are you're, that you're not also operating – you know, people think of a diet as a deficiency state. In pregnancy, you want to be building up. But I think for our purposes, when we say diet, we're just talking about kind of Nutrition. Recalculating or ma- our macronutrients, really. But you mentioned type one diabetes. Who else would not be a good candidate for a ketogenic diet? Um,
2: it really, just type one diabetic and um, I, you know, anyone else. I would say they should try it.
1: Mm, you mean an adult?
2: Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't even think of having a child on it. No. Correct.
1: Yes. But, um, maybe uh but but I have heard that there is uh, uses with children who have certain um, uh, seizures and things like that. Have you read about that? Any? Yes.
2: So. Um, there are a lot of children that have epileptic seizures that have been on the diet for decades or, you know, years while they're having the issues and then um, also into adulthood. Obviously, that's an extreme case. Um, and the amazing thing is this has been going on for 50 years. Uh, th- oh. This diet has been prescribed for 50 years. And, um and even more amazing is that it helps over two-thirds of the children
1: but of course those are strictly working with a physician and in a very exactly. controlled environment right <laughs> well, so, I- don't try this at home with your children right and <laughs> well, they great. are very
2: uh, more strict on the percentage so my version is really just uh, actually less and less formal weight loss type diet and they have to go by the gram, you know, use a gram scale for everything that they that they eat.
0: Oh, wow. I was going to say, your, our brains are over 70% fat. So I think the more intake, the more you nourish your brain. Exactly.
2: I, and I think that has to do with a lot of the mental clarity that you feel when you're on a ketogenic diet. Um, and it... The brain inflammation goes down. It has a cooling effect on your brain.
1: So how does it work? So like at a certain point, you most people run off glucose, and then they, they drop their protein, they up their fat, and then they start running on ketones. Can you tell us a little bit more about that process?
2: Sure. That is called uh, trying, getting keto-adapted. And it usually takes between two and four weeks when you've never done it before. Um, it can be unpleasant at times. Um, if you've ever heard of the low carb flu or the keto flu, that's what that is. Is sometimes you you don't feel as good as you you know normally do when you're going through that. Um, you may have a little bit of headaches or kind of flu like symptoms, obviously. So, a detox. Yeah, kind of a detox while you're switching fuels. Um, and really, the to get completely keto-adapted takes from two to four weeks. Uh, when I was going through it the first time, I felt like it would never end. Um, and Really, what I should have been doing is drinking a lot of homemade broth, um, upping my sodium, good sodium, like uh, good real salt.
1: Himalayan salt or something like Zap. that
2: with real minerals in it, not the pure white salt. uh, And sipping broth in the afternoons, homemade broth, not the stuff from a can or the box from the store. Um, Seeking out some natural sources of potassium and magnesium, maybe some magnesium oil. I wish I had known that back then. I think it would have been uh, a lot better for me. Exactly, yeah. I think people don't do
1: it right and then they feel really, really horrible and they give up too soon, right?
2: Yeah, it's hard to feel that, you know, horrible. So, And you think it's the diet making you feel horrible. It kind of is, but it's something that uh, once you're through that period and your brain switches over to to ketones, then it's, it's much, much better. And it just, for me, it... Gradually went away, and I never wanted to be out of ketosis again from that point on. But one note too, it's once if you happen to get out of ketosis after you're completely adapted, then it's a lot easier to get back in.
1: Like a day or something, right?
2: Yeah. Even overnight, I can get back into ketosis.
1: And you start to kind of feel it, right?
2: Yes, you can feel it. Um, you may have a little harder time waking up in the morning, um, and then, you know, the next morning, it, your your mind is super clear when you wake up. So you know, um, you know when you're starting to, to get back into ketosis. So you don't have to have the blood ketone monitor. I do recommend it because it's so motivating to see the number go up. And you know exactly what your body's doing, but uh, it's not something that's completely required.
1: And what is the the problem with the the? A lot of people use those pee sticks, and why? What's the problem with those?
2: Well, the problem is they're not always accurate for everyone. I haven't figured out who they're most accurate for. Um, it really, the keto sticks, they really only measure the excess ketones that are spilling over into your into your urine. So, you could still be in ketosis, but not have excess ketones that are spilling over. Um, so, then you would show, you know, by the sticks, you would show that you're not in ketosis when you really are. Um, and you have and to, it,
1: like, pee on them first thing or else it doesn't work. Yes, right.
2: <laughs> urine has to be really concentrated, and um, I just, I gave up on those. I it, it wasn't accurate for me.
1: I think it, yeah, maybe makes people think they're not doing it right, and that's maybe not true.
2: Exactly, it's, it's just not always going to give you good information, and sometimes you can get discouraged from that.
1: So,
0: Kim, you know, when you're talking about going on and off, or in and out of ketosis, is this meant to be a long-term plan? Will you stay on it as a long-term plan or will you transition to a maintenance plan?
2: I will stay on it as a long-term plan just because of the mental clarity that I get. However, I will definitely play with the amount of carbs that I can get away with. So a lot of people just increase their carbs slightly, um, until they're, you know, when they have a body weight that they want to stay at. And and then they just, they play around with that amount to see, you know, what their good level is. Um, and so it can resemble more of a paleo diet at, in the maintenance mode. Um, or just maybe a lower carb <laughs> paleo diet. So 50 to 100 grams a day instead of 20 to 30.
0: Well, speaking of, you know, counting carbs, I remember when the Atkins revolution came out, and and the reason that I think people got really down on that, and one of the major differences with this, is that you weren't allowed to really eat any vegetables or fruit or anything, and at least, you know, this seems more well-rounded to me when you're really just focusing on... Uh, the lower-carb veggies, right? Not the starchy veggies, but just low-carb, nutrient-antioxidant-rich veggies and proteins and fats.
2: Yeah, thank goodness they changed that over the years on the Atkins, too. But I think the message had already been delivered to everyone's (laughs) heads. So, yes, I'm a really big vegetable person. So anything that's going to tell me that I can't have... Vegetables would be really weird to me.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, that's uh, antioxidants and fiber, (laughs) and uh, you know, there's a big nutritional powerhouse there. Exactly,
2: Mm -hmm. I eat a lot of greens. um, You know, the the dark leafy greens cooked in a lot of fat, and I mean, it. I just count it into my carb count for the day.
1: Now, do you do net carbs or total?
2: I do net carbs.
1: See, that gives you a whole lot more vegetables
2: exactly and avocados <laughs> oh yeah
1: <laughs> that's important but they're really yeah. really low when you minus them out and you know i think the whole thing with atkins was i think the whole thing was like they never well of course they got a really bad rap when they introduced all those products and I mean, yes that was, that was really bad but then i think the problem was nobody ever actually read the book and i mean i have one of the books from the 80s like I mean when my grandmother used to have the book and uh she would always she was one of those diet starts on Monday people. And, uh, I think that's where you know I got it from but uh she had the book and you know I didn't even read it till a couple years ago and he actually speaks about going to farmers markets and and all these kinds of things and I think just nobody ever read it they just heard about it from their friend and then they just copied or maybe you know, this was pre-internet, but uh, I think it was just uh, kind of like to that telephone game where you hear and then <laughs> you, you know, mutate the message. Um, so I think he had his heart in the right place just, you know, at the time we didn't know everything that we do now. And, and one of the other things, the big researchers who's been really active on this in the last few years, I'm sure they've influenced you as the Stephen Finney Dr. Volok, right?
2: Oh, yes. I love their book, and I read it right when I found out about it um, from Jimmy's blog.
1: Yeah, and the, their, the only thing I didn't like in their book was that they talked about canola oil, but I'm sure that oh, they yeah. would, would... I'm sure maybe they've changed their mind by now, but I was like, oh, my God. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> I have There's no question.
2: canola oil in my house.
0: Uh, oh, no way. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, I have a question, Kim. Tell people... <laughs> What an example of what you eat during the day. So take us through a typical day and tell us what you're eating.
2: Hmm. Well, I like a lot of fish um, and grass-fed beef. So a lot of my meals kind of center around those two things um, with eggs and vegetables kind of thrown in for variety So, and plus, and I stay away from nuts except for like almond flour because, I mean, just do not put me in a room with macadamia nuts. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's so difficult. (laughs) I know. Um, But I usually have a weird breakfast like a fish fillet with sauerkraut, um, homemade fermented sauerkraut or something um, with a big pat of uh, Kerrygold butter on it. Um, for lunch, I'll usually have like a like I um, leftover dinner, um, which would be you know some kind of stew or curry or um, cauliflower rice or um, something like that. Um, I also make a lot of breakfasts uh, on Sundays for the whole week, like egg cups. Uh, there's a recipe on my website for that with uh, eggs and veggies and a little bit of bacon and cheese um, i do dairy um, and for dinner we i use my pressure cooker a lot I had make homemade broth um, I'd pretty much do um, a lot of quick weeknight type cooking except maybe you know over the weekend I have this addiction to pizza which i have incorporated into my low-carb diet so, you'll see a lot of pizza recipes uh, on my website because <laughs> I've been trying, you know, if you have a favorite food, I mean, it's always good to try and incorporate it into what whatever you're doing.
0: It's totally possible to make it with cauliflower.
2: Oh, crust. my cauliflower. So, I took the cauliflower recipe and uh, I made it better. I made it actually a crispy crust. and. That's one of our favorites around here.
1: Did you put almond flour in it? or I have
2: another version that I do. If I don't have cauliflower, I do a almond flour uh, cheese crust, which is actually very, very good as well. So, yeah. You mentioned, pizza.
0: <laughs> you mentioned dairy, and I know that a lot of the plans are really dairy heavy. So if someone was avoiding dairy, and I have a lot of, People I work with have egg allergies, too. Would they be able to just navigate that by leaving out dairy and, and it eggs?
2: I, and it, I actually went through my book because I was curious. I, and one of our daughters doesn't even eat dairy or eggs. So I do kind of have to get used to cooking that way at least part of the time. Um, I suggest that people use chia seed paste Um, in place of eggs, in baked goods, Um, only 10 or so, or 15 or so of my recipes in the book of over 50 recipes have dairy in them. And about half of those actually can be substituted with something else. So, you know, I do like dairy. I'm Northern European descent. (laughs) So it's obviously in my genes, but it's not in everyone's. And um,
1: have you done a period of elimination yourself? In
2: I have. I actually have done a couple whole thirties and never had any problems adding it back.
0: You're so, in the, in the minority. I feel like
2: <laughs> so. <laughs> my whole family is like that, though. But it's it's odd. Obviously, I I have a huge gluten. Thing. I mean like a lot of people do when they uh, come to paleo so um, that's my big thing to avoid and which is obviously very possible um, um, on you, so you
1: um But that's good though that you did try a dairy elimination because I think some people just want to just put their head down and pretend and <laughs> that's not a good approach and you really should try it to see how you feel and then same thing with the eggs, like Mary said.
0: Yeah, because that can cause inflammation and prevent you from reaching your goal. But you're right; a lot of people still have the enzymes and or aren't um, sensitive. I think the to the quality
2: of dairy is important too. Exactly. Um, avoiding ultra pasteurized dairy, I think, is really important.
1: And you want to try to get grass fed and organic if, at a minimum, right? right and also avoiding carrageenan is real important and the homogenization
2: i know it's crazy i mean i luckily we have good stores around my area that um, i can get good quality milk i can make my own yogurt from that milk um so it's i have good options
1: and um, you, you do have a two-week meal plan in your book right so people can kind of get an idea of what a day looks like right
2: Correct, yeah.
1: That's really helpful, I think. now and the recipes, you with it. Yeah, and the 50 recipes is awesome. Now, what do you think uh, are the most common mistakes that people make when they're trying to do keto?
2: I think that um, the low-carb flu uh, can be hard, and people will give up during that, as you mentioned. That's one of the common mistakes, and... Preparing ahead of time to go through the low-carb flu, I think, is a wise choice. So when you're still eating carbs, stock up on homemade broth. Um, make sure you have the right kind of salt and so that you have that to add to your diet when you need it.
1: I think you should go paleo for a while before you start to try to ke- do
0: ketosis. Don't yeah, you? yeah. That
2: might help with some of the detox. I think so, too. Um, It would be quite a (laughs) bad headache, probably, for weeks um, to go from standard American diet to ketosis. But, I mean, you know, we all did it. A lot of us did it back in the Atkins days. Um, And I think that's why people, they remember going (laughs) to that diet because it was, you know, maybe painful for them.
1: I did Atkins once when I was like 18. I think I've told this story. I don't know. But I, of course, I I think I did have the book. I don't know. But at that time, there was allowed vegetable oils and stuff. And I ate like, I ate my weight in blue cheese dressing. And (laughs) (laughs) I got, I lost weight. I mean, I was extremely big at that time. Uh, So I think just cutting the sugar and stuff. But I got this weird, like, sore throat thing, and I think it was from all of the blue cheese and the well, vegetable yeah. oil. It was really weird. It was like I got sick. I felt sick, and I think it was because of that, because... And, and maybe I, you have a
0: dairy sensitivity, too.
1: Well, I mean, I think it really was the um, the blue cheese, because I was working <laughs> at this restaurant. Not the blue cheese, but the, the oil in the blue yeah. cheese, because I was working at this restaurant at the time, and, like, every single meal, I would eat this, like, giant grilled chicken salad with this blue cheese all over it and and i got like this sore throat thing and i was like this is just not healthy all this meat and you know and i think it really was the vegetable oil yeah <laughs> blue cheese blue yeah and the and i ate lots of pork rinds and lots of um like clam dip from like the grocery store it was really gross so there is lots of ways to do it wrong that's for sure <laughs> well we
0: need to get into our questions because we got a lot of reader questions uh did you have anything else you wanted to ask while we're just chatting with kim before we answer facebook questions caitlin
1: Uh, i'm sure i'll think of it okay cool all right let's
0: see the first one we got here from michael he says i've lost 112 pounds on a keto paleo diet down from 260 But I still have about 10 pounds around my midsection that is very stubborn. Any suggestions for getting rid of the last 10 pounds? I think that's a famous question, huh?
2: (laughs) (laughs) And I wish I was at this point, but I I have read a lot um, in preparation. So I would say, Michael, um, I'm not in the same place, but what I would do is make sure you have your blood ketone monitor. I mean especially if you're trying to lose the, the last little bit of weight, you really want to know if you're in ketosis or not and what level of ketosis you're at. And you want to be at least a 0.5 um, to a 3 on your monitor. It's going to be really slow, um, but actually you want it to be slow because that means you're, you're going to lose the fat, not the muscle. So I think that's um, what a lot of people miss is that, oh, I lost two pounds. Well, how much of that was muscle? You know, keep your protein levels at the right amount, you know, and run the keto calculator numbers to make sure that at your current weight that you're eating the right macros.
1: Um. Well, Michael, you can also look at some lifestyle factors. I mean, diet doesn't fix everything. You want to make sure you're getting sleep. You want to make sure you're, you know, turning down the lights at night. You want to lower your stress. Try some meditation. You know, look at your food quality also. And, you know, you might look at, test your adrenals, test your thyroid, and make sure that um, that you you know, look at those things, too, because sometimes, you know, we can sit there and do all of our calories and, you know, look all day long at our food, but really, it can be some other things, so try to get your stress down and um, maybe get some adrenal tests and thyroid tests to make sure an optimal range is there, right, Mary?
0: Yeah, because when high cortisol or low cortisol, even if your cortisol is burned out or if it's too high, it will cause you to store fat in your midsection. Because when cortisol is out of whack, it goes from helping you burn fat to viciously helping you store fat. So good wrecks on the thyroid and adrenal.
1: So the next one comes from Linda. She is... Oh, she wants to know more about the two-week menu in your book, Kim, and she wants to buy the book, but she's looking for an easy-to-follow meal plan, and she's been paleo for a while, for a year, but she wants to try the keto- ketogenic diet for health reasons. So I guess she's just wanting to know if her book, your book is right for her.
2: I'd say anyone that has done paleo is already well on their way to being ketogenic. And, even, you know, maybe they're just not familiar with the tweaking um, that it takes to be keto, uh, keto. But really, you're halfway there when you're paleo. Um, the recipes in the book are pretty easy to follow. I, like I said earlier, I'm a, more of a weeknight cook. Um, I don't do a lot of complicated recipes. And my, My blog also has a lot more recipes, too, that will supplement everything that's in in the book as well.
0: So the next question is, well, this is a short one. Maybe we'll address this one very quickly and move on to the next one, which is a good one. Gina says, is it as complicated as it seems?
2: And my answer to that would be that people could make it as complicated or, or as easy as they really want to. So when I started, I pretty much just counted carbs and added more fat. And I did that for a while. And then I kind of moved on to the next thing. And I, I I ran the keto calculator and I made sure my fat was high enough and my protein was low enough. Um, and I don't know about everyone else, but I get really overwhelmed when I make too many changes at once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just, I can't do that. So I really, you can take it in chunks. And just the most important thing is to uh, reduce your carbs so that you get into ketosis. And beyond that, everything else is really tweaking.
1: So I agree. Yeah, Do you have to go kind of baby steps and... You know, and if it's a huge, really stressful time in your life, it may not be the time to start a new plan. You know, you kind of have to get all your ducks in a row before you can do something, you know, more detailed.
2: Exactly. I agree. Uh, But one thing I wish I had done right away that seemed complicated to me, um, but really was, it turned out not to be complicated, was the blood ketone monitor. I waited too long. To, to add that in. Um, it was extremely motivating for me to see that.
1: Yeah, and it doesn't really hurt the way people think. You just, they give you a little thingy that comes with it to poke your finger, and you can barely feel it, right? Yeah, it's not bad at all. It's not like a needle or something. like. No. People are, might be visualizing. Um, and if you take your ketones, that they're lower at night, right, and higher in the morning. I mean... They're better range you get a better reading at night correct
2: correct you, most people do i've heard of exceptions but
1: and um all right the next one comes from bonnie so what if any sweetener do you use kim and when she followed the keto diet in the past you know we kind of talked about this she used some artificial sweeteners like splenda uh she also used sevia xylitol erythritol She was combining keto with anti-candida, and uh, so she would make an occasional treat to stay on track. Now, those sweeteners don't appeal to her anymore, with the exception of stevia, but she knows she will need an occasional treat on special occasions to stay on track. So I guess she's asking, you know, what sweeteners are best.
2: Well, I pretty much stick to stevia for the most part. Um, I even found a chocolate bar that has stevia in it. That um cocoa fat is actually very good on keto for some reason. Um <laughs> lost a lot of weight on chocolate. Um, <laughs> what is the brand
1: you like of the Stevia um,
2: bar? Cocoa po- what Cocoa Oh. Uh, it's the Stevia Chocolate Company, if you like look that up. Oh
1: Stevia Chocolate Company?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's very good. I like the uh, 70% with almonds.
1: <laughs> and what's the, what's the, so it's just devia in the bar?
2: I believe so, yeah.
1: Yeah. Or there may be
2: a little bit of erythritol on it as well, but uh, that kind of goes to the other part of the question, is I do allow myself some of the sugar alcohols, but I don't do a lot of that. When I first started, I didn't really eat sweet foods at all um because i had such an addiction to them mm-hmm. and i was just trying to break myself of that in fact the other night i went out to a really nice restaurant and i it's funny that you mentioned blue cheese dressing um because <laughs> i had this wonderful blue cheese dressing i started eating it and i'm like oh my gosh there's sugar there's like so much sugar in this i couldn't believe it and i had to stop eating so I mean I'm really sensitive to sweet to sweet foods now. So um, I don't do anything like um, the Splenda or or anything, but just a little bit of uh, stevia and erythritol at times.
1: Mary's a xylitol expert, so weigh in on this, Mary. You know I well I was going to say also she has a really great
0: uh, chocolate bar that I think uses some kind of sh- I can't remember exactly what it is, but. Um, I don't know about xylitol. I am kind of more of a coconut palm sugar convert now, although that is obviously not zero-carb or low-carb. But xylitol is fine, I think. But then you get the problems of it being derived from corn, et cetera. But I Mm think, your point is good, is that what's really valuable in all this is to break that addiction to always needing something sweet. And Mm -hmm. I think there Main questions people want to know about when transitioning to a plan like this is what can I have that sweet? And that's sort of missing the forest from the trees because you want to yeah. train sort of your palate because we're also crazy for sweets, you know?
1: Well, also, I was just going to mm-hmm. say things like Kim just said, it gets sweeter. So, like to me, a raspberry or a strawberry or blueberry are very sweet now, whereas it used to be that I wanted something on them or something.
0: And um, yes. you mentioned too, I mean, if you go out to eat or you know wherever there's sugar hidden in everything yeah
2: i was surprised it was a really nice restaurant i didn't think they'd you know put sugar in something like blue cheese dressing so it's like you, you do have to be careful um and the berries a good very good point i did have berries i could tend to lie to myself on how many berries I was <laughs> eating, them. it was like, oh yeah, that was only half a cup, yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's like the um, <laughs> exactly, the whole pint is gone, you know, so um, thank goodness the berries are out of season now and, and uh, where I live because, uh, yeah, I, and so I, that's another thing too, is like I try and limit myself to these foods when they're in season, so, you know, I'm not going to eat a ton of berries in February.
1: Unless they're frozen.
2: Well, <laughs> well eating with the seasons is good. Unless I freeze them.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. From,
2: from my berries here. Sometimes but. they're
1: expensive. That's a good deterrent. Um, so, the next one's yeah, a good one, too. You go with the one from Pam.
0: Well, this one is from Tony. This is a good one because I hear this a lot. And Tony wants what kind of health issues what you have to say about health issues and going keto because Tony's worried that it will damage already dodgy kidneys and I think that's a question I hear a lot is won't that much protein be harmful to my kidneys or fat or whatever
2: yeah that's funny it's it's that same misconception that keto is high protein and I actually eat less protein than I used to which I think is better for me Um, My answer to these types of questions is always really you should be working with a naturopath or, you know, a doctor that you trust, that health professional that uh, knows you and knows your family history because I think that's really important that someone that knows you and knows um, the health history that you have and is able to take labs, you know, um, every three to six months or whatever uh, that they weigh in on on your health situation. But keto is not high protein. And
0: for for the record, it's really difficult to consume so much protein that you kidneys. And I think people aren't aware of that either.
2: Oh, okay. And I think the processed salts um, can be hard on your body as well. And I, you know, I won't say that I never eat processed salt, but it's rare.
1: And maybe when you go out to eat, but you're not going to be using it in your own house.
2: Exactly, and I'm not going out to eat as much as I did. It's yeah. just not as fun, because they try and push all the carbs on you when you go out to eat.
1: And the food is all GMO and
2: yes, gluten it's...
1: and everything else. Um, all right, so I got confused. So Tony was last, and then now we're on Pamela, so... She wants to know, I've done low-carb ketogenic diets in the past, but uh, with great results. However, I've gotten older and they seem less effective. I do paleo to feel healthy, but I'm really stuck at a healthy size 14 unless I do tons of exercise and weight training, which as a full-time working single mom, I just don't have time. So, my question is Do we need to count calories as we get older to have the same effects on the ketogenic diet? She's in her 40s. She's fairly active hiking, walking. She does the gym a couple of times a week, and she's not yet in menopause.
2: So, this one is I like this question. It's a very <laughs> good question because um, I'm getting older as well, right? <laughs>
1: I mean, not all not of us. us. Not us. <laughs> True, we're not
2: all of us that are lucky are getting older so I'm
1: in a cryogenic chamber <laughs>
2: i'm actually in premenopause right now and it works for me um i know it's slower for me in my 40s than uh, for other people um it takes more time to see results for me but just the fact that i'm not gaining um, is a huge victory for me and
1: once, you said Once, your
2: good, right? Yeah. I think you really have to go by how you're feeling. I mean, other than that first couple weeks. Um,
1: well, if your energy good, then you might feel like exercising more, you know.
2: That that happened to me. It almost it, it floored me. I was so surprised. It just took me uh, one day. I was just sitting at work, and I'm like, wow, I have all this energy. I don't understand what's going on oh my gosh, I want to exercise, you know. Um, And that started to happen to me and it's actually, you know, I've been building on that. But uh, once I accepted it as a lifestyle and I stopped monitoring it so closely, um, then I was able to kind of accept my path. It's going to be slower. But I would say again that you have to make sure you're in ketosis. I mean, getting the blood ketone monitor and I have no affiliation with the blood ketone monitors. I just have to say um, I don't get any money for when people buy the strips or anything I promise um so if you know that you know you're only a point two on the monitor, then that's that's a sign that. You know, you need to dial some macros in a little bit more, so.
1: So, yeah, absolutely. You've got to track a little bit more closely probably than you used to.
2: Yes, I've found that. I need to, um, in fact, we're doing an October challenge on my blog right now where we're all tracking our food on MyFitnessPal. And let me tell you, I'm not, I haven't been doing it every single meal, every single day Uh, For a while, and it takes some getting used to again. Um, And it's like, oh, I don't want to write this down, you know. (laughs) But you
1: have a you do have a section about calories in your book.
2: Yes, I'm not convinced that um, calories are really the answer. I I don't really believe in the calorie in calorie out theory so much. I think it has to do, um, you know, reading Gary Taubes and. His book is just amazing about, really, it's more to do with the sugars and the hormones. And so it's, I'm not convinced about it, but so if I'm hungry, I'll eat.
1: Yeah, but I think one thing that that is important is if you are overeating, you're probably overeating the wrong things that are going to throw you out of ketosis. And I think that's kind of what you were saying in your book.
2: Very few people are overeating on coconut oil yeah, and it's gaining not that weight. Good.
1: You, know. <laughs> Unless you Put some chocolate in it. Um, <laughs> all right, let's do two more quick ones, and then we're going to have to wrap up. So you pick one, Mary, and I'll pick one. I love
0: this one from Bonnie because I think this is another popular one too. She says, "Any suggestions for the keto bad breath? I used to use Listerine strips, but don't know about the ingredients in those now. Is that a myth, Kim, or is it truth about the keto bad breath?"
2: ask my husband, he'll say, no, it's not a myth. <laughs> <laughs> um, it actually ended up going away for me. Um, it, you know, if I do cycle in and out of ketosis, um, I do get it again. Uh, but if I'm in ketosis for a long time, it's like my body adapts. So if I, if I like, I had a glass of wine last night um, and so I wasn't in ketosis, but now I'll get it again because because um, I'm cycling back in. And then my body will adjust and it will, it will be gone within, well, the first time it would took about a month to, for it to go away. So um, just keep brushing your tongue.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've heard that from other people that it went away after uh, three or four weeks. So just give it a little more time. And, um, so one more about really quickly, I think this Melanie wants to know if ketones can be, you know, adversely disruptive of periods of women's periods, which I don't know where she got that idea, but, you know, maybe we can help her understand.
2: Yeah. In fact, I've had the opposite reaction, at least personally. I can't speak for everybody, but I was more irregular prior to keto, and now I'm more regular. So it's really kind of balanced my hormones more, I mean, without me even doing anything. Now, it took months for that to kind of settle out, but my periods are much better. I don't have the PMS. I mean, I'll get like two hours notice, kind of my body will give my, me two hours notice, and I'll be like, oh. That's going to start today.
1: You don't have all the symptoms you used to have. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I've heard that too. Um, this, so actually, it increases your insulin sensitivity, and when you do that, you're uh, more likely to have good periods, like on time and regular. And um, you know, haven't you learned that about your PCOS, PCOS and all that, Kim?
2: Yeah, I just think. For me, the more carbs that I've eaten in my lifetime, you know, the worse my periods are. So I think low carb diets are are very good for for good PMS (laughs) experiences.
1: Exactly. Now, one last thing, and Mary will all chime in on this, and then we'll wrap up. um, Is a lot of people talk about. Ketosis being bad for thyroid health and adrenals. So uh, what's your take on that, Kim?
2: I've had the opposite reaction with my blood labs.
1: Is your thyroid
0: stabilized, do you find?
2: It's better than it was when I started. That's awesome. But I'm also taking iodine. I think that has helped me
1: now, well, are you Hashimoto's or just uh, hypothyroid?
2: Just hypo, I'm not Hashi.
1: Okay. So, yeah, that's very controversial. I'm sure we've talked about it before that, you know, everybody's got a different opinion about how much iodine is appropriate for Hashimoto's people, but it's usually fine for the regular hypothyroid. And, um, go What do you think about that, Mary? Yeah, exactly what you said. And I mean, I think
0: a ketogenic diet is great for inflammation. And Hashimoto's is especially autoimmune that accompanies a lot of inflammation. So I think that could be really beneficial. Um, and myself, I am fixing my thyroid too. I don't have Hashimoto's, but I use iodorol. You guys um, iodine are cool. As well. cool. Hashimoto's is really. where it's at. <laughs> <laughs> But that's interesting because, Kim, you mentioned earlier on in the show about how you had so many problems with conventional medical doctors on addressing PCOS, and typically what I find is they just give you a birth control pill or something, send you on your way, and that kind of, <laughs> of
1: course, cause more problems. <laughs> well, the dogs have had enough. So um, did you want to say anything else about that, Kim, about the adrenal thyroid?
2: No, I just think time will tell um, i'm I'm not so married to keto that I wouldn't see stay on it if I felt like I wasn't making progress and not even just on weight loss but on overall health. so yeah. to me, that's really important. I
1: think, and I said this in my article too. I mean, it's very important to self-monitor. I know I've taken adrenal tests every year for the last several years, and um, you know, you want to you want to actually look at those markers and don't and and test your thyroid every year at your doctor or more often as you can uh, to see what's happening with you. You can't just go off a blog post or an article or or you know Jimmy Moore's blog and and just exactly. see. You have to work with your your endo or your naturopath and and check those things for you and you know also monitor your energy if if you feel like you can't get out of bed and you've tried keto for three weeks well it's prob may not be for you you know so um now kim tell us all about just real quickly again where where we can find you and your book and everything
2: My blog is com, and you can look for my book there. My book is called Kick the Weight with Keto. Um, I also have a free resource guide that you can download for free. And uh, also look for me on Facebook, Eat Fat, Lose Fat.
1: And your blog's really cool. I think you cooked every recipe out of Sally Fallon's Eat Fat, Lose Fat book, right? Okay. I'm
2: still doing that.
1: Okay. <laughs> cooking your way through.
2: Yeah, I'm still cooking my way through. She has some really good recipes in there, and I'm um, altering, altering them for keto as well.
1: Oh, yeah. So it's like Julia and Julia. Awesome. Um, so get <laughs> get excited about our ne- next guest is going to be Dr. Lowe, all about... Um, menopause, woo, so everybody always wants to know about menopause, so I think that'll be an awesome show, Um, we're going to do another exciting show about baking for the holidays with paleo, and we're going to have Dr. Kalish on, so lots of exciting stuff coming up, please stay tuned and share this podcast with your friends, and leave us a review in iTunes, Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks Kim. Thank I'm you. Sure, it's great.
2: Thanks guys.